Hello and welcome to the Dayson Digest. I'm Libby Dodds-Ashley and today I'll be discussing an article that was published electronically on June 27th of 2022 in Clinical Infectious Diseases. The title of the article is Harnessing the Power of Health Systems and Networks for Antimicrobial Stewardship, something very relevant to all of us in the Dayson Network. I am excited to share that we are being joined today by the lead author on the publication, Whitney Buckle. She is a pharmacist at Intermountain Health, where she serves as the System Antimicrobial Stewardship Pharmacist Manager, and she helps to oversee the stewardship efforts at all 24 of the hospitals in their health system. And she led this work that was done in conjunction with the Pew Charitable Trusts, the CDC, the Society of Infectious Diseases Pharmacists, the Infectious Diseases Society of America, the Pediatric Infectious Diseases Society, among others. So this was a, a huge project and we are so excited that you were here to join us today. Welcome, Whitney. Thank you so much, excited to be here. So to get us started, I always find that authors are the best ones to tell us about their work. So tell us about the project uh, that you participated in. Yeah, so as a health system leader, I really love connecting with other leaders across other health systems to understand what they're doing, like what their structure is and how they prioritize their activities. So this is a really exciting opportunity where with the support of Pew Charitable Trusts, we were able to help organize um, 21 or 20 of 21 health systems that were invited to participate in a questionnaire, a webinar, and then focus group to understand implementation strategies for system-wide antimicrobial stewardship with a real focus to describe what types of structures they had developed as well as the functions of their centralized stewardship programs. So we found that there were four antimicrobial stewardship program structures that emerged. There was collaborative programs, centrally coordinated programs, those that were centrally led as well as collaborative consultative networks of which Dason is an example. And it was really exciting to see such a variety and how they, they structured them individually, but still had actually many different system level stewardship responsibilities that overlap between the different structures. And those included building and leading a stewardship community, strategic planning and goal setting, development of validated data streams, leveraging tools and technology, providing subject matter expertise, and then education. So ultimately, I think the takeaway is that health systems are a growing area for antimicrobial stewardship, but there's an opportunity to centralize some of these stewardship efforts in order to improve outcomes for patients. It was real interesting. And also in full disclosure, um, Schaefer Spires and myself actually participated in this on behalf of Dason. So it was interesting for us to get to be on the call. We were with, on, with one other health system uh, out on the West Coast when we had our call. But when you were talking to these various groups, you know, I, I, it, was, it seemed like you had a physician and a pharmacist for, primarily from each program that you were able to interview and work with. I'm wondering what common barriers did you identify in getting stewardship programs sort of at that health system level? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. We had a, we asked for a physician and a pharmacist representative from each of the organizations that participated. And so we were able to get a pretty good perspective on the various barriers. There were barriers for implementing stewardship programs um, as well as ongoing barriers that each health system are dealing with. So there, of course, is 
a lot of the things that came up were COVID related. I think that this, uh, this occurred after you know, COVID was in full swing. And so a lot of health systems recognize that as, a, as an ongoing barrier. But, you know, in setting up a stewardship program, there were some other barriers that were identified. And a lot of that was surrounding data. Um, you can imagine getting access to data, especially if you're across multiple hospitals within a health system can be challenging. And then also in order to do some of that with the data, as well as the day-to-day -day stewardship work, you know, adequate personnel funding or other limitations or challenges that health systems cited when they were starting up their stewardship program and ongoing as well. Yeah, we certainly see many similar challenges within the DASON network membership. So and it's, I guess, maybe comforting that it's, it's common throughout those trying to have large collaboratives or networks doing stewardship together. I imagine it was pretty interesting. I know I learned a lot on the call that I participated in to give the feedback. And so I was wondering, Whitney, what thing or maybe a few things that emerged that perhaps you decided you really wanted to implement at Intermountain just through the process of getting to talk to so many groups doing uh, stewardship networks? Yeah, great question. It was it was really exciting to hear all the different stories. I think on, on one hand, there were specific projects that people implemented that I was like, excited about and wanted to learn more and wanted to reach out to them afterwards and be like, hey, can you tell me more about, you know, how you've implemented automatic consults for cephalus bacteremia or how you've implemented your outpatient antimicrobial stewardship program. You know, we focus not just on inpatient stewardship, but also outpatient stewardship and the role that health systems could play in that avenue. And I think a lot of us are still trying to figure out how to expand and be really effective in, in primary care settings. So a lot of those examples were things that I was paying really attention to. And then I also think it was interesting from the data standpoint, everybody, you know, looks at different data elements, but also how the data are used. And so I think one takeaway I had was there were health systems that really integrated their data into dashboards and not just their own antimicrobial stewardship dashboards, but tried to get antibiotic stewardship data into other disciplines dashboards to be most effective. And I thought that was really interesting. In addition to there's some of the more longstanding experienced health systems were really moving into outcomes-based metrics. And I think that that's the direction that we're interested in going as well. Interesting. So any insights on that outpatient stewardship question? I think that's probably one of the top five we get asked from our members. Right. Yeah, we, we had very few sites that um, health systems that said that they had really robust implementation of outpatient stewardship among the majority of their outpatient settings. Um, there were only three that had 75 to 100% participation of their outpatient, outpatient facility. So what some of the health systems did was really leverage the electronic health record to improve prescribing for what was called tier three respiratory infections. So those are the respiratory infections that do not require antibiotics with, you know, focus, for example, on bronchitis. There is also disease state treatment pathways that were focused on specific drugs like fluoroquinolone-based um, solutions, so pop-ups or other things in the health system record or order sets to facilitate appropriate prescribing of fluoroquinolones. And then a lot of systems were also um, Starting out peer comparison tools, there's just one health system that really had implemented a peer comparison tool for outpatient antimicrobial 
prescribing in their primary care setting. And I thought that was uh, probably a really good thing to leverage, but does take a lot of resources up front. Great, thank you. I want to shift back a little bit to the governance models for some of the stewardship activities because I you did a nice job in the paper of going through those and we um, even though in the DASON network you know we're one of the collaborative uh, consultant models but we see these different uh, stewardship centralization approaches across different health systems with which we engage and I was wondering what did you see that were key differences between groups that had um, what you defined as centrally coordinated versus those that actually had central leadership. Um, what, did anything stand out in ways, because I know that we have a lot, and you mentioned this in the paper, that some were sort of in the process of trying to transition from centrally coordinated over to more centrally led, and how, did you find anything that might be useful to somebody trying to make those changes and to garner those resources at the central level to be able to get uh, additional support to, to coordinate activities across multiple sites? Right, great question, Libby. So we did find that a lot of sites were really transitioning between that centrally coordinated approach to a centrally led approach. And I think a lot of the benefit that you get from a centrally led approach may be from higher level strategic planning, that you really need to have the resources for system antimicrobial stewardship leaders. And there's a variety of ways that centrally led programs can be developed. Honestly, this is a huge category and I had thoughts of breaking this down further, but we really wanted to combine it in, into different groups. And so if you think about it, um, the way that you can have a centrally led model may be from a non-stewardship leadership position, you know, in which that, in which antimicrobial stewardship is one of many responsibilities, such as a clinical coordinator. There can be ones where a, a formal system leadership role is added on to somebody who is at perhaps a flagship facility. And then there's one where you actually financially support an FTE at the system level to do antimicrobial stewardship. And I think all, across all these different models, the hope here is that um, the stewardship initiatives can really be strategic and across all sites in a way that goes beyond centrally coordinated that really is limited to more of a committee type structure. That's great. Whitney, I also want to shift a little bit and talk about the collaborative model that you described. You know, it is one where participation by sites was typically voluntary and there might be some inconsistencies in data. That is really starting to look like something I'm not as familiar with at a health system level, but I'm seeing emerge more commonly as states are getting funding to do centralized stewardship services for the state. I know several of the states where we have members do have a state collaborative of some sort that allows participants um, to get some resources for stewardship. Was there anything you learned by examining that model in the health systems that might be relevant to those who are either considering engaging with their state or perhaps you know, some of our member hospitals actually are serving as leadership roles in these state collaboratives. So I thought you might be able to give us some insight and, and best practices there. Yeah, thanks Libby. Yeah, I think I wanna make a distinction here between the two different models that we have. There's a collaborative model that we saw emerge as well as the collaborative consultative network model. And I think for some of those state-based ones that you were referring to, we really would put them more into that collaborative consultative network model where you have a leader that's external to the organization that can serve as mentorship and again, participate into that, that network model, get a lot of the benefits that you would from a employed within the same health system structure. The collaborative model that we had where we had three sites that, that 
fit into this model was really where, you know, in the very beginning, right, if you think about maybe where Intermountain was 10 years ago, one of the biggest advancements you can have is by having a committee where you really share the ideas. Because at a very basic level, you can streamline resources. If one person at one hospital develops an educational material for providers on UTI, does another hospital within the same health system need to spend that time developing those education materials? If you decide that you want to change the algorithm for patients presenting in the emergency department and who gets the urinalysis or not, um, that's something that if you really like what another hospital in your health system did, you can implement it at your site as well. Um, it really makes your life easier by knowing what's going on. And what I think I found in some health systems is knowing what's going on at another hospital isn't always as easy as it sounds, right? You need to be able to have those relationships and you have a committee to be able to share and learn from each other. And so the collaborative model is just one where there's no formal structure, but there's this committee and there's this collaboration between sites to really share knowledge, share resources, and streamline efforts in less of a coordinated way than with the other models. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's really interesting. You know, I almost could see a role for having multiple models in some of our health systems, you know, where some are very focused on the stewardship team centralization is a little bit driven by the electronic health record needs. And that's what brings everyone together. But it might be nice for the stewards to have almost a separate time for the more um, you know, slightly different discussions. Maybe it doesn't involve the the electronic health record, you know, to collaborate in that way. So it's interesting that, that you did have 15% of the health systems who participated in your project actually had that collaborative model as their primary approach. Very interesting. Yeah, and I think one thing that you said is really interesting as well. What we found is that a lot of health systems, they may not have been on the same EHR, right, or they acquired another hospital or several facilities that were on different EHRs, but later down the road, they had to integrate. And I think that's really forced more collaboration, right? Because health systems don't want to pay to have different order sets at every site. Potentially they want to have some standardization just for IT resource purposes. And that I think has led to these committees in a collaborative model and then driven people down to looking at a centrally coordinated or centrally led approach because you know with things like EHRs we do want to be thoughtful about our resources and a health system and, and how they're implemented how we implement stewardship. Those are great points, Whitney. And I think also will give some comfort to some of our pharmacist stewards in particular who are going through some of that integration right now that you've mentioned. Um, I wanna thank you so much, Whitney. This is this is great work. You know, Thanks again for including us in it. Uh, and also thanks for coming to share insights. I think uh, there's a lot to be garnered here for our hospitals. We are always looking for additional supportive uh, publications to help garner more stewardship resources at the local level. And I know this will be a key piece of that to show how other health systems are, are doing this and, and governing it and still have local um, sites with resources for stewardship as well. I wanna thank you for coming and spending the time with us and we appreciate uh, you listening. Uh, if you have questions about this publication or want to look more uh, deeper dive into the data, please reach out to those of us that, uh, within DASON. All the liaisons have a copy of the article, and we'd be happy to discuss this further with you. Thank you so much, Whitney. Thank you, Libby. It's been a pleasure.